0: and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, this little story of Martha and Mary, which is our gospel for today, has a way of getting into people's minds and getting stuck in their craws too. Many people over the years, most of them women, have complained to me about this story. Most defending Martha against what they take to be an unfair assessment on the part of Jesus. But it's a story I found that just just bugs people and they ask a lot of questions about it. And it's a very simple, very short, very simple story, but it gets into people's hearts. And over the centuries, it's been interpreted in a whole variety of ways. Let me just offer you uh, three different takes, three different angles on this story. There's a very old tradition that associates this story with the active life and the contemplative life. So. Martha, who's worried about all the details of hospitality, she's bustling around the kitchen preparing dinner. She's seen as symbolic of the active life, all those people in the life of the church who are actively engaged in ministry, etc. Mary, who sits quietly at the feet of Jesus listening, stands for the contemplative life. Think of all the monks and nuns and and scholars and, and contemplatives who spend their lives in quiet Consideration of the things of God. Now, when Jesus says to her, Well, now, Mary, you've chosen the better part. It won't be denied. It's been read by some as Jesus' valorization of the contemplative life over the active life. Well, I don't know if I'd go really that far with it, but I think we can say something important about this active contemplative relationship. I think in the Bible, it's very clear, both Old Testament and New, that listening has to come before acting. Let me say it again. I think throughout the Bible, it's a basic principle that listening has to come before acting. Now, we're not denigrating action. We're not putting it down. It's more of a chronological relationship. The trouble is that we act without attending to the Word of God. Trouble will always follow from that. In all the great figures in the Bible, there's a moment of listening. What is the Lord saying? Once we know, then we're ready to act in a way that's congruent with God's will. What gets people in trouble is they act without listening. Now, even with the best of intentions. Think of, you know, of King David who wanted to build the temple. and he, It's full of good intentions. But then finally Nathan the prophet said to him, No, no, it's not what God wants. And David, to his great credit, listened. And then didn't act. Or better, you know, he, he did act. He acted by not building the temple. His action followed from contemplation. I think this is a very important principle now for us today. We are not a very contemplative society. We're much more Martha-oriented. And that's probably why a lot of people defend Martha. We're much more at home with that. We like people who are busy, bustling, active. Someone asks you how you're doing most of us respond with some version of how busy we are. Isn't it true? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing this and this and this and that and so on. Action's great, but action without contemplation is problematic. Listen first, then act. Okay, that's one kind of standard reading of the story. Here's a second one that I played with over the years. I think of the story about the one and the many that old philosophical problem. It's also a spiritual problem. Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are anxious and upset about many things. Mary's chosen the better part. Now, in the, um, in the Latin of this uh, passage, he says Mary has chosen the unum necessarium, the one thing necessary. Isn't that good? What's key in the spiritual life is having your life, your mind, your will focused on the one thing necessary. Then, then, all of the other activities of your life will fall into place. You'll know what to do once you contemplate and harmony and order will obtain within your soul. Once you are focused properly on the unum necessarium, the one thing necessary. The problem on this reading is, isn't that Martha is, is busy and Mary isn't. The problem is that Martha is anxious and upset about many things. She's lost in the many of her life. Mary is anchored in the one When you wake up in the morning and you're facing your day, all the many things you have to do, are you finally about one thing? If not, you're caught in Martha's problem. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and upset about many things. But if even in the midst of all the many activities, you can say, yes, I'm about one thing, all of it conduces toward the glory of God. All of it is an attempt to follow the will of God then you are in a good spiritual space. You're in the space of Mary. Okay, those are two kind of standard uh, readings of this story, two bits of spiritual wisdom we can derive from it. Here's a third one, though. I came across this recently while reading N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite uh, biblical scholars. He's an Anglican. He's now the Bishop of Durham in England, but he's, he's been a biblical scholar for many years. And he offers this, I think, intriguing take on the story. He says one of the principal marks of Jesus' teaching and ministry is the overturning of social conventions. So, Jesus eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners in a way that was just shocking to people of his time. He associates with Samaritans. I mean, Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. He speaks openly to them. He deals kindly with Roman soldiers who were hated by the Jews. He touches those who are unclean. All these ways. He's overturning the social conventions. Why? Why? In service of what he calls the kingdom of God. God's way of ordering the world. He says and does all sorts of outrageous things. See, to show how dysfunctional our world is compared to the way God wants to order things. Okay. One of the most striking and surprising of Jesus' moves was the radical inclusion of women. He allowed women into his inner circle, which was practically unheard of for a rabbi of that time. He spoke publicly to the woman at the well, who was also a Samaritan, by the way, but she was a woman. That was unheard of, that a man would speak to a woman publicly. He engaged the Syrophoenician woman in, uh, in kind of an ironic and humorous repartee. He forgave the woman caught in adultery, etc. And the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. In all these ways, the Gospels are signaling to us this radicality of Jesus. Now, N.T. Wright says the story of Martha and Mary is another very interesting example of this principle. Though we're likely to miss it because we're so uh, disconnected from the social conventions of Jesus' time. Jesus now is in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Martha is in the space conventionally reserved for women. She's in the kitchen preparing the meal. She's bustling about getting the meal ready. That's what women were expected to do. That was the space women were expected to occupy. While this typically woman's work was going on, men would sit out in the main room of the residence and they would talk. And if a prominent rabbi or Pharisee were present, the men would sit at his feet and listen to his words. You know, by the way, this posture doesn't imply some kind of dog-like devotion or slavishness. It was the attitude of the disciple. You'd sit and you'd listen to the great teacher, the rabbi. But see, it was a man's role. It's what men would do. Now we can see why Mary's attitude was so offensive to Martha and probably to everyone else in the room. See, Martha wasn't simply mad that Mary was giving her more work to do. She was mad that Mary had the gall to assume the stance of a man, to take up her position in the men's space. Now, in responding the way he does to Martha's complaint, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and upset. Mary's chosen the better part. Jesus is signaling more than just a, a preference for listening over acting. I think that's going on. He's inviting this woman into full participation in the life of discipleship. Mary has chosen this better part, and it will not be taken from her. Now, mind you, Luke, who told this story, was a companion of Paul. Luke's gospel reflects many of Paul's themes. Paul famously said, in Christ, there is no slave or free, no Jew or Greek, no male or female. Now, this was very radical stuff for this time, because those were among the most basic social divisions of the time. Each carried a clear evaluative weight, moreover. Free men were a lot better off than slaves. Jews had a huge spiritual advantage over Greeks. Males were seen as superior to females not anymore, not anymore, in light of the kingdom that Jesus announced. Not anymore, says Paul, in Christ there is no slave or free. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. The kingdom of God cuts across these social conventions. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating the contemporary feminist agenda here, which I think too often runs roughshod over the real differences that obtain between men and women. I'm not advocating women's ordination of the priesthood. Don't get, don't get animated about that. But I'm urging you all to see the radicality of Jesus' call to discipleship, which does cut through the social conventions of his time and ours. I'm urging you to see that everybody, rich and poor, those on the inside, those on the outs, men and women, are summoned to discipleship, and that this summons is the most important consideration of all. It is for everybody, no matter what the society's saying, no matter what the cultural constraints dictate, this is the most important decision you'll make. And everybody is invited into this intimacy with Christ. Given this reading, can we see Mary here? as the forerunner of all the great women who followed Jesus over the centuries. All the great women who made bold to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. Can we see her as the prototype of Teresa of Avila, of Joan of Arc, of Claire of Assisi, of Therese of Lisieux, of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, of Catherine Drexel, of Edith Stein, of Dorothy Day, all these strong, intelligent, holy women who, often facing the constraints of their own time culturally, sat at the feet of Jesus and listened. Whether you're a man or woman, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're on the ins or on the outs, don't let anyone's expectations, don't let any cultural hang-ups deprive you of this better part. That, I think, if N.T. Wright has a point, is one of the principal teachings of this story. Everyone should take his or her place at the feet of Jesus and move into this stance of discipleship. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit Word on Fire dot org